0: This episode is brought to you by Good Fight. We had the pleasure of hosting founder Amy Columbia, not once, but twice, to talk about this amazing product, an enzyme that all of us need more of. Phytase is known to substantially increase absorption of micronutrients, protein, and amino acids. This superpowered digestive enzyme unlocks micronutrients in your food, helping you absorb more so you feel better, sleep better, and perform better. I can personally say that since taking Good Fight, I have noticed less swelling, better recovery, and much better digestion. And who doesn't want that? So if you want to start feeling good from the inside out, check out our show notes for links and use the code JOINTHEGOODFIGHT10 for 10% off all your orders. You know, I had that thought like, can I do this? Like, this is six days, 135K on the trail. Can I keep up? Right? That imposter syndrome we all have. And Jen definitely emphasized it was not about speed, but you had to have the endurance. Like, there were some 10 to 11 hour days on the trail. So I shifted my training definitely to more time on feet. That was
1: Kim Sankey. And this is episode 167 of the Inspired Souls podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim. And I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we are talking with me, Kim Sankey, about my most recent six-day fast-packing trip to Torres del Paine National Park in the Patagonian region of Chile with Run BC, organized by past guest and amazing athlete and human, Jen Seger. It was the trip of a lifetime and I've received so many questions about the trip that I figured I'd tell you all about it on the pod. There are two ways to travel and explore. You can sample as many key places as possible in a large region, or do a deep dive into a smaller region of that place to experience the culture and the place on a more intimate level. This trip was just that for me. We became a part of the Patagonian landscape for eight days, both on the trail and in the towns we visited. The knowledge of our local guides, combined with Jen's vast experience in the region, allowed us to experience the land, people, and culture in an intimate yet expansive way. Although words and photos will never do this region justice, I invite you to listen to my retelling of our adventure. Whether you are an armchair traveler or someone looking to complete the ONW routes of this amazing park on your own, there's something here for you. In this episode, we talk about why Patagonia is so special. What is fast packing? What did we pack? What did we eat? And what were the accommodations like? Finally, why you should consider doing a, a trip like this yourself. Okay, let's get into it. All right.
1: Well, Kim, you are just back from one heck of an epic adventure. Uh, your pictures on Instagram are Absolutely stunning. Stunning. I had to look at them all like multiple times because it it was just like eye candy, (laughs) the views that you had in uh, Patagonia. So welcome back and we'd love to hear all about it.
0: Well, if you had a hard time, you know, looking at them, try picking like 10 pictures to represent <laughs> an Instagram post when you literally have over, I think, five or 600 pictures in your phone from one week. <laughs> yeah, I think there were a
1: few days you had the little carousel, but then you ran out and and had That'd to like carry two. on. And,
0: yeah, part two. <laughs> <laughs> and then we all started sharing in a Google Doc, that, that opened Pandora's box again. But no, it was an amazing trip. And so many people have been asking about it that we thought we would just do a, a brief episode and I'll tell everybody about my Patagonian adventure with Run BC.
1: Yes. Well, Run BC. So it's it's funny you mentioned this and we were talking about uh the Run B C founder, Jen Seger, just before we we hit record. So we had her on the podcast this spring, I think. Um she's a super experienced adventurer, shall we say? And uh she was your guide on this trip, wasn't she?
0: Yeah, she actually would would deny that and say she wasn't officially the guide because she's not licensed to guide in in Chile, but she was the agent, right? She coordinated the trip, coordinated all the bookings, got all the participants and hired the local guides who officially guided us on the trip. So I yeah, see. it was a okay. RunBC uh, project. Like she says, it's her passion project. And um, I must say now I am equally as passionate about this project of hers because it was amazing. Okay.
1: So was that the inspiration behind it, meeting Jen, going on her website, seeing where she takes people to, or how did this all yeah. come to be?
0: Yeah, good question. So yeah, as you mentioned, we had Jen as a guest on the show in late spring this year. And in researching her, I was, of course, okay, we'll call it research, not creeping her out on Instagram. And I saw a post that she had put up about one spot left available in the Patagonian trip for this November. And it was just one of those instant things. You know how some things Mm. come across your plate and you just know you know without a shadow of a doubt this is right. I had no idea how I was going to get the vacation time or the money. I just knew. I'd been talking about my top three being Patagonia, Thailand, and Iceland as my like places I wanted to go next. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that, I filed it away, but I just knew. And after we interviewed her, I messaged her and asked her more, is the spot still available? And yeah, the end of the story is that it was and I signed up and I'm I'm so glad I did. It was just perfect. I love that story. I love I love the idea
1: that you like see something and it just strikes you like lightning, you know, like who cares? We'll figure out the details. But this this is happening. So it sounds like that's sort of how it how it came to be. But I'm also curious about what the tr- like, was there training or preparation that you had to do to to get ready to go on a trip like this? Or do you just fall back on your um, fitness to get you through it?
0: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit to answer that question and talk just a little bit about why I signed up in the first place, because... I was starting to feel in this last year, like all of the long um, ultra races that I had registered for and signed up for were always sabotaged by something, whether it was injury. Um, I got injured before Canyons this spring, and then I got COVID the day of Black Spur, 108K, and I made it to, you know, 100. I know I made it 35k in before I feverishly had to pull the plug. You know, last year it was a sprained Mm -hmm. ankle. So there, there always was something. So I'd been doing the Mm -hmm. training and I managed to essentially show up at the start lines of all these races, but never actually complete. And Mm -hmm. I was starting to lose my mojo and lose my desire to actually race. Like there always seemed to be pressure involved in, in the training and the finish line. And then I, I, you know, after 10 Mm -hmm. years of ultra running and racing, this is my 10th season. I was like, you know, I really, if I'm honest with myself, I really just want to get back to what it started at all in the first place was, which was just exploring and adventuring for long days in the mountains with a light backpack. So I kind of started all off with fast packing um, way back Mm. in the day. And so I was starting to feel this subconscious pull towards just not an official event, just going out for long days on the trails. And then the other thing was I've turned into a bit of a running recluse in the last year because um, life is just so freaking busy. But it's, all, it's also been a, a little bit of an excuse. It just took too much mental energy for me to like, organize a run with people. And I, that's not good. I know I really thrive off people and I, I need to be with people every so often, even though I equally enjoy being alone. So those two things, I was like, I want to venture along in the mountains and I, I feel a need to, to be with people, even if I have to pay for contrived experience yeah. <laughs> for them to be with me. And so when I saw that that post, this kind of just, I think that's why it resonated so deeply with mm-hmm. me was like, oh, this is exactly those two things is it's going to fulfill that for me. Yeah. And so when you talk about the training, I pretty much already been doing, yeah. like I was trained up for hundred K races running COVID, you know, obviously through threw a wrench in that, and I had a month of almost no running at all, like just a lot of walking. But then Jen reminded us that, you know, it's going to be a lot of power hiking, like a lot, a lot of really fast power hiking, because we're going to be out there for a long time with heavier than normal packs on our backs, like not just an ultra running vest, not a huge multi-day pack, but I think mine was probably 25 or 30 pounds Mm. and in a, in a 20 liter backpack. And so the training I shifted to after having COVID was just still running, but doing it all with a pack, all with the weight on my back. So I didn't buy a weighted vest or anything. I just loaded up my backpack with bags of quinoa and water. (laughs) Literally I threw a bag of quinoa in there. I'm like, Oh, bag of pasta, make sure my bladder's full in two bottles. And uh, would go out for either runs or power hikes, whatever I felt like. I just yeah. got the time on feed in uh, for the training. Um, and, and a and decade
1: of a decade of yeah. ultra running under your belt, you're probably ready for whatever was going to get thrown your way.
0: Right, right. And you know that's one thing we'll get into maybe what the actual week looked like, but. I, you know, I had that thought like, can I do this? Like this is six days, 135K on the trail. Can I keep up, right? That imposter syndrome we all have. And Jen definitely emphasized and turned out to be exactly that way. It was not about speed at all, but you had to have the endurance. Like there was some tentative 11 hour days on the trail. So we had to be able to go the distance. We had to be able to endure the physical physicality of that, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure your tendons are ready, your muscles are ready, your joints are ready. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't about running, racing yeah. it. It was more just, can you, can you be out there for that long? So I shifted my training definitely to more time on feet than distance. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay.
1: 135 kilometers over six days works out to be 22 and a half kilometers on average, but I know some days were longer some and, days and were some longer, days were some shorter. shorter.
0: Yeah. Um but a lot of elevation change. Mm-hmm. I would, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Now, one of our shortest days for distance was the day we went over John Gardner Pass, which was elevation change and snow and icy conditions. Yeah. So that was yeah. a long day on feet, just for safety reasons. But shorter distance. So, am I getting ahead?
1: No, it, no. I think that's probably pr- exactly what we need to talk about now. So, s- describe to us like Patagonia is known for. Just absolutely stunning landscapes. Yeah. Um, and your your pictures certainly reflect that, but it's different, right? You can see like glacier and then you can be in the rainforest, oh. like varied, correct? So you did tons of uh, gear with you. Mm-hmm. So maybe describe some of the um, most memorable things moments uh, from, from the fast packing? Like was every day like fast packing? Like uh, you were yes, yes. getting every somewhere with purpose. Packing. You weren't yeah. lollygagging along, but.
0: Yeah. So essentially fast packing, exactly that. Moving as fast and efficiently as you can, but with a pack on your back, not just yeah. a vest or a bladder. Right. Gotcha. Um, we always used pole. Well, most of the time use poles, um, ran downhill when it made sense, but power hiked. I've never walked for so long, so fast in my life, but (laughs) you follow Jen Seeger, you know, you get to know how to do it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, Most memorable days. So I thought that the most memorable day for me was going to be our first day when we went to the towers, which is kind of the most popular, iconic photo stop. Um, You don't need a permit to get to the towers. You can leave right from the welcome center and go 10K up to the base of the three- mountains that formed the towers, the Mirador de Torres, which is lookout of the towers. And a lot of people just do that in one day. They'll go up and down and that'll be their day, their 20K day. Um, and we did that our first day. It was very crowded. The c- towers were a bit cloudy, but got our photo ops and, you know... As with everything, you know, when you're climbing about and you just get the first peak and you think that's the best, you take a picture and then 20 minutes later, oh, that's a better view. And then you take another picture and then, oh, that's a better view. And then you take another picture. So this first day seemed awesome. We took loads of pictures, but little did we know, it just keep getting better and better. So the second day was our longest day when we came down from the towers and we did almost 40K. It was 38 and a half K. We started the O circuit, which is... Exactly what it sounds like—a circle circumnavigating the park. So we never summited any mountains, but we went around mm-hmm. uh, the park, still with lots of elevation gain. And you're right, Carolyn. Like the we went through every climate zone and every environmental zone one could possibly think of in a week. We went to, you know, the towers, which was, was foggy and rainy. And then as you start to head around the East side of the circuit, um, it's almost like a desert. It's like a rain shadow, right? Where the East side is dry and warm. So we're in shorts, you know, and getting tan lines on that day. And there was scrubby sagebrush and, you know, more of a, a deserty feel. Um, but then the, I, I, I'm losing track of the days. The third day we saw an amazing glacier with wind. I can't tell you how I was not prepared for the wind. Oh, I think I remember a good picture with your hair. Yeah. My hair. Everybody's laughing their heads off at my like jughead hair from the wind. Um, but the wind was, when we started to head into the north side of the park, the wind was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. I grew up in the Canadian prairies. But here, it's kind of like it will buffet right? And it'll kind of gust and ebb and flow. And you can do a run and feel like the wind is coming all four directions at you in a run, right? It's constantly changing. There, it was like you were standing behind a jetliner the whole time. Like it's just Whoa. constant in one direction to where the trees would even grow, like bent over. Like you could tell the wind oh. just always went that direction. It was yeah. unrelenting and it would literally knock your feet, off, you off your feet if you weren't braced. Huh. I remember taking my gloves off and clipping them together and like tucking them in because if I let go, they were going to be gone. Whoa. So it was, <laughs> okay. yeah, that was kind of, we crested a moraine coming up onto Los Perros Glacier and just got hit. And from then on, it was wind for like the next three days. But in answer to your question, probably the most, um, the, the most memorable day for me was the fourth day when we went over John Gardner Pass. This was the highest point of the trip. So, I didn't do my research very well and assumed it was all going to be very high altitude, but it was not. Like we are at the mm. southern end of the Andes and we actually yeah, started... just described,
1: just in case somebody doesn't know yeah, what Patagonia
0: is. For sure. So yeah, let's back up a bit before I tell you all about John Gardner past day, because it was so exciting. Um So the Patagonian region actually is the southern tip of South America, and there's a Chilean Patagonia, and there is an Argentinian Patagonia. And the border pretty much goes right down the middle. Um, The border divides the Andes. So similar to the continental divide and BC and Alberta border, one side flows into the Pacific, one side Mm -hmm. flows into the Atlantic. But the Patagonian region is, it's actually... I just looked it up. I think it's 181 hectares. So I don't know what that is in acres, but a huge, huge. 181,000 hectares. hectares. Yes, 181,000 <laughs> yeah. hectares. Um, and it's mostly plains and desert, but in the very Southern end, there is Torres del Penn park, Torres del Paine park. I got to say it right. Paine, um, which stands for blue. Paine is blue. So mm. towers of blue. And we started to see why they named it that way as we started to go around the park because all of the lakes, the glaciers, the rivers were just this aquamarine Spunning. blue from yeah. the minerals that everywhere you looked, there was blue. And and then the sky was obviously blue. Mm. So there's, these mountains rise up out of the desert prairie. Um, and it's not, to be honest, like if you if you've been to the Canadian Rockies, it's not this unending sight of mountains you can see the start and the end (laughs) and if you check out my instagram you'll see you know as we were driving up to the park we could see the the borders of the park and we circumnavigated it all in the week right yeah um but you started about, I don't know, 90 feet above sea level. Like you're not that far above sea level. And we, the highest point was about 3000 feet or a thousand meters, which was oh. pretty much where I live so in Calgary. That's like, well, yeah. 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 I was gonna say, yeah. That's like Calgary. yeah. Yeah, So I never felt, you know, we didn't have to worry about altitude at all. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. which was quite pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. but as we headed up over John Garner past, John Garner is the person who, you know, the explorer that, initially opened up that pass. Um, We hit snow. So it's spring. So that's the other thing I'll mention there is because it's in the southern hemisphere, it's springtime. And, you know, the snow had been melting, but it was definitely that spring type crystalline snow. So in the summer, there's no snow through the pass, but there was still snow when we went through. The other thing about it being spring there is that the sun rose at 530 and it didn't get dark till 10 30 so we had loads of sunshine loads of yeah just no seasonal affective disorder the week we were there that's for sure which was was really nice um but anyways we went up over this pass of course the wind was just gusting really strong which with wind chill brought it to sub sub zero temperatures like it was it was cold um (laughs) Well, yeah, I know I want to talk a bit about what the heck we put in our packs, but going over that pass, I had every single item of clothing I had taken with me on, except my sleeping like wools, like Whoa. base layer. I had my t-shirt, my my long sleeve shirt, my raincoat, which turned into a wind layer, my puffy jacket, my leggings, my rain pants. Yeah, I had everything on. <laughs> And then as soon as you start to come down the other side, you're stripping it all off. So I can't tell you how many costume changes we did in a day, just, just with the varying, you know, whether you were in the rain shadow or in the rainy side or with wind. Or mm. So what makes this pass, what made it so stunning for me was as we came up over the ridge, I, I saw what I thought was the ocean at first, because we are fairly close to the ocean there. And I was like, oh, cool. You can see the ocean. And then I realized, no, This was a big glacier, the biggest glacier I've ever seen on foot. And our first glimpse of it was coming down on like over the top. So my experience, at least with glaciers, and I've had a fair amount of experience seeing glaciers, but it's always been you see the kind of the foot and the tongue of it dipping in to a lake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of yeah. see this triangular melt and then this big aquamarine lake underneath it. Yeah. And the only way you see the body of the glacier is by flying over it, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here in in most places in in the Rockies, anyways. But our first glimpse of this glacier was this 28 kilometer long, six-kilometer wide piece of ice. Oh man. 30 meters high. And it just basically was cradled by the mountains on both sides. You couldn't see the end of it and it cleared up like to where we could see the whole thing. And then you started to see the details, the crevasses, the blue crevasses Uh and the lakes Uh within the glacier, you know, it would melt and then there were lakes inside the glacier. And then you could see there was like weather. It had its own weather patterns. Like you could see weather forming and clouds forming over the ice that weren't anywhere else. Like, I didn't find this in writing, but the guides told us they believed it's the third largest landlocked glacier in the world. It was called uh, Gray Glacier Mm -hmm. uh, because it it drained into Gray Lake or Lagos Gray. um, And the lake had... It was just so mineralized. Like we were drinking yeah. the water and it was just like drinking, you know, <laughs> your yearly allotment of minerals in one glass, but it just tasted so good. Yes. Um, and as we were oh. coming down, like we just kept, <laughs> our fingers were numb from cold, but I just kept taking my phone out and taking more pictures. Yeah. I'm like, right, I just, have pictures to. just don't yeah. even do this justice. It was just mm. so stunning. And then we continued down on the, you know, the West side to Grey Refuge refugio refugio gray and and had a a great time there so and that was actually a really nice place to stay too so that was definitely the highlight for me because it was just so unique like i've never experienced anything like that before like that amount of ice on foot seeing it like that yeah Yeah. well
1: i think you said something in one of your posts about it's just awe inspiring. Like when you're oh, in yeah. nature like that, you really feel like insignificant and significant all at the same time. Yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> well, you feel so empowered because you got yourself there and you're here in this place standing on your own two feet, very grounded and feeling connected to to the place mm-hmm. and time. But at the same time, yes, like one of the girls on the trip, Jen, she took a picture of the glacier. It's another Jen. There were two Jens on the trip. And you could just see us as, you know, yeah, human specks in, in front of this massive sheet of ice. And right. that's exactly what we felt like. We just felt like little mm-hmm. ants next to this massive glacier. Yeah. Okay. Special. So you mentioned two Jens. How many of
1: you were on, on this trip? And uh, maybe briefly describe some of the people that you met. You got to okay. pay for your friends yeah. these days because you were a recluse back home.
0: Is that right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> did you meet any BFFs? <laughs> I completely did, and you know you're taking a bit of a risk when you sign up on these trips. It's like, I mean, we had to sleep together, eat together, tr- hike and run together for. Not just the six days on the trail, but the days in the hotels before and after. So I was like, who <laughs> I'm a little bit wild and crazy. How how wild and crazy are the other people gonna be on this trip? You know, we had such great chemistry and such a great group. I mean, it takes a certain kind of person that's gonna sign up True. for something like this. Yeah. Um, we had eight total, including Jen Sager, um, two and the two Chilean guides, Mauricio and Pedro, and they were absolutely amazing. Um, so seven participants, essentially. Um, One was a couple, sorry, two of them were a couple from the Eastern Seaboard U.S. Oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Somewhere in New York City. I'm thinking Delaware, but I could be wrong. (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, She's an emergency physician and he's a bit of an academic. So they were, Mm. they were on the trip. The rest, there were two ladies from, one from Wyoming and one from Bend, Oregon. The Mm. one from Wyoming, just, She's a 30-year-old rancher, pilot, like interesting, interesting lady. Um, and yes, she does ranch her whole spread by herself, 80,000 acres. This is no five-acre harpy farm, like she, badass woman, She's, Sterling yeah. was. And then um, I, I want to protect their privacy a little bit. So oh. I won't mention her name, but there was a prosecutor from Ben Oregon, um, a lawyer from Bend. Um, and then two ladies from Vancouver were there. Um who were roughly my age, one a little younger, one a little older, and myself. So we're all women except for Jason, the man as part of this couple. We ranged in age from 30 to 57. All of us had some form of endurance sport background. Uh yeah. Running or adventure racing of some kind. Interestingly enough, the couple met at um uh it was an adventure race in Costa Rica. That's where they met and mm. fell in love. So this was kind of one of their return to the things that they love to do. Um, so, yeah, we all, you know, when you spend hours and hours and hours on a trail together, you talk a lot. And we got to know each other really well. Um, Relationship so. accelerator. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. As (laughs) everybody knows, right? You get to, you you find out more about everybody than you ever wanted to know. And you tell them more than they ever wanted to know about you. (laughs)
1: Yes, But as you say, Uh, it's sort of a certain type of person raises their hand for a trip like this so you can probably feel pretty confident that you'll meet some like-minded folks and and some really interesting people um, that you you mesh well with so Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that that was the case for you and now accommodations everybody wants to know like Mm -hmm. where do you stay on a trip like this what do you eat like tell talk to us a little bit about that because I think I remember we talked to Jen about this and she's um I think that's partly what is appealing about a trip like this for people is that all of that's sort of taken care of for you. Like you're out there doing your hike and it's a spread is produced when you (laughs) get back to camp. So where where are you staying and what are you eating?
0: Well, oh, there's okay. Where do I start with this? You're, You're absolutely right. I signed up for this trip. I mean, it did cost some money, of course, but we were so well taken care of. And that was just so nice for a it's single mom, of you know, working mom, I didn't have to take care of anybody. I'd show up and other people were taking care of me. And that just was so awesome. <laughs> and I think it was even more important in, in the park we were in, because even our local guides say, said they have issues coordinating accommodations and food as local guides who to talk to and they know they speak the language they know who to talk to they know how it works down there we met so many solo hikers on and runners on the trail that were commenting on you know for as popular of a trail as this is which it is very popular Mm -hmm. there's it's really hard to figure out the booking system so Mm. it is very european-esque they have um refugios, which are like small hostel type accommodations and tent cities. Like you can rent a tent essentially there, or you could bring everything on your own back and just set up somewhere. Um, we've being fast packing, didn't bring a tent with us. We didn't bring a sleeping bag with us. We brought sleeping bag liners and our quote luxury item was a blow up pillow. Um, <laughs> but other than that, we used local accommodations and in this park, it's a national park that's publicly managed, but there's two private companies that, ma- that manage the, the accommodations around the circuit. One on one half of the circuit, one on the other half of the circuit, which is why bookings are so complicated because mm-hmm. you're dealing with two different companies in a public park. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, <laughs> in Spanish. <laughs> and, and they also have rules as to like, they permit, you get a permit to do the, the route. There's actually the oh. O route and the W route, which is kind of like going up certain valleys on the front side. We did both, but people can choose to do the O or the W. And they, there's rules as to you have to stop. In certain camps. And we couldn't Mm -hmm. figure out why because we wanted to go faster, right? There was one, our longest day, we did get special permission to skip a camp Mm -hmm. because we didn't want to take 10 days to do this. We wanted to do it in five or six. But I think the reason they make you stop is to just control that. They can't, they want to predict who's coming through and how much food they're going to need. And they can't have... Fifty people showing up tonight, and then a hundred people tomorrow, and then some people skip to camp, so they're not. Yeah. There's no accommodation for them in the next place, because um, these are very remote. There's no roads. It's hike in. All the food's brought in either by hiking it in or helicopter. Like it's it's pretty remote, yeah. but. We were pre- like, I didn't know what to expect. I was prepared for dirt naps, like trail naps. Like I didn't know. I, like, are we going to be wet? And you're are prepared for that too. <laughs> the weather forecast was for very rainy and we were prepared to be wet and cold the whole time. Mm. The weather was great. The accommodations were way better than I expected. So three nights out of the five nights, we were intense. One night we were in kind of like an, uh, kind of like, like an year. elevated tent that you had to mm. like climb up to almost like a mm-hmm. roof like a rooftop car tent except mm-hmm. it was on the like into the side of the mountain and mm-hmm. soft you know uh, sleeping bags were clean warm then the other few nights we were in just normal you know tents on the ground and then two of the nights in between these three so it would be tent refugio tent refugio mm-hmm. tent was <laughs> small punks but white linen sheets duvets oh. pillows oh. i did not expect whoa. that i was like are you kidding me we actually get heat we actually get <laughs> heat like we thought we'd come to these refugios with a sleepy bag on like a thermo rest still just with walls around us but yeah. no this was like what i would consider five-star backcountry accommodation
1: whoa That's
0: um ish showers like depending oh, on what time we shower <laughs> <Okay>. um <laughs> And then the food. So this is important, I think. So if you want to consider this podcast a bit of a travel log, if anybody's interested in going back, we did not know what to expect with regards to the lunches. So each day they gave us a box lunch or bag lunch to take the next day. And I brought a bunch of spring energy and like running stuff because I didn't know what we would get. I used almost none of that. Um, they gave us a big sandwich and and dried fruit, dried nuts, fresh fruit, always a little dessert, even if it was a little Toblerone chocolate bar. Mm-hmm. Um, we honestly... <laughs> and then the meals in the evening... Again, way more than I ever expected. So the beef down there is is amazing. Um, we had like a pot roast that was just like pulled pork, but beef it was mm-hmm. so tender. Um, potatoes, rice, like local food, but just mm-hmm. really good. We had one person in our group that was a vegan, and so they fully accommodated
1: wow. uh, that
0: person. Not always to their liking, exactly, but I mean they didn't starve. Um, mm-hmm. So I I even commented on our second last day. I usually have cravings after that many days on a backpacking trip and I had no cravings. Like I wow. was very Yeah, I think well did that. you say you had like a lentils stew that or was soup or simplest. something? <laughs> Still very filling and wholesome meals. So that was a Paris like camp warm. right before we went up over um, John Gardner Pass. Mm-hmm. And it was it was cold, dank, dark, usually very muddy there. That was the least luxe camp we stayed in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because it's so remote, it was the very furthest like 60k from in either direction from from you know civilization mm-hmm. you could tell that they had lentils because lentils don't spoil you don't have to worry about getting fresh meat in there and we had this lentil stew for supper that was I mean, I love lentils too. I make Mm -hmm. it all the time at home and it was delicious and it stuck to your bones for the next day's hike. So yeah, we were There's something about a warm meal, I think. Like
1: sandwiches and all that is great for the day. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get like that hearty, warm meal, there's something about that that feels um, like it stays with you a little bit longer, I think.
0: The building was cold. We ate it in our puffies with our gloves on. But we were still... um, Yeah, you're right. It was... Again, I think if you go expecting nothing, everything is a pleasant surprise. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I I wasn't sure if we'd be eating rice and beans and beef jerky the whole time. Like, I had no idea what we'd be eating. So it was was delicious. Yeah. Okay. All right.
1: So ultra runners often have a strong connection with nature. How has your relationship with the outdoors um, influenced your running, particularly during your time in Patagonia?
0: Hmm. So... Yeah. A person might be wondering why in the world are we talking about essentially a lot of hiking on a running podcast? But I Mm -hmm. think like you just said, ultra runners are drawn to the sport largely because they want to be in nature, right? And this is just another way to express that when maybe, you know, you need, you feel you need a change. So that was me. I felt like I needed a little bit of a change, not permanent change, but just something different. I still wanted to push my limits in a different way, but the nature piece didn't go away. Like that was my why. So we were out there in the middle of nowhere. I had a complete digital detox on purpose. Like there were certain places that we could pay for Wi-Fi service via a Starlink at some of the refugios. Some of our group did. I didn't. I was like, you know what? I just, I just needed to completely disconnect. The only thing I used my phone for was pictures. Um, didn't even listen to music once during the entire Mm. trip. It allowed us to connect with each other more and just really ground yourself in that place and feel Mm. the energy of that place. So our guides were so knowledgeable about not only the culture, but all the plants and the flora and the fauna. And you'd ask a question, you just see their eyes light up like, Oh, I'd love to tell you this. And then they would stop and we're like, okay, Kim, quit asking questions. Cause Mauricio keeps stopping all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it was just, it was really good off the grid. No, no roads, no traffic noise. Um, and really, because we were sleeping outside essentially for the whole time too, you really just took a deep dive into, to the, The nature of the place, which to me was so fascinating being in South America, um, being, you know, opposite seasons, um, rivers flow slightly differently. But, you know, I made a comment everybody was laughing about, thinking at first glance that it might have been a bit base and condescending. But it was like, you know, we can travel the world, but nature and the mountains are essentially the same. Wherever you Mm -hmm. go, they're just expressed Mm -hmm. differently. And Mm -hmm. to me, it wasn't a negative. It was like, you know, this place is special in its own way, but at the same time, rock is rock. Trees are Mm -hmm. trees that just grow slightly differently in different places. And Mm -hmm. it really makes you feel connected to the earth Okay, here's me just starting to do this big <laughs> soliloquy <laughs> on this subject. But, you know, the earth as a whole, right? You know, I traveled to the south. We were closer to Antarctica in Torres del Paine Park than we were to Santiago, Chile, right? So we were wow. really close, you know, as the birds, you mm-hmm. know, the fly in Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but huh. yet, I still felt at home like I didn't mm. feel like I was in a place that was completely foreign because it was nature it was earth yeah.
1: right yeah there's something something grounding about that but i want to go back to the um the digital detox so it was it almost yeah. sounds like an intentional digital det- yeah. detox cuz you did have opportunities to connect if you wanted to um i'm curious if that if you found that like going the whole time without um maybe impacted how you're feeling since. You've been home what, a week?
0: Yeah. Has oh that got home a week tomorrow. So six days I've been home. Yeah. Six days. So
1: over the last six days, now that you've, you know, you're presumably back in your normal routine and you could go log on to the internet at any time that you want, um, are you still feeling residual effects of that digital detox? Um today?
0: absolutely. Yes. Great question. So, yeah, it was intentional. I took a risk. You know, I was like, well, I might miss an emergency at home. But at the same time, I mean, I'm on two screens and a computer and two phones all day, every day at home. I just felt this visceral repulsion to blue light while I was there. Yeah. I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't check. And if I check and something happens, I'm going to be stressed out and I can't do a blinking thing about it anyways. Cause I'm no, three days on feet and mm-hmm. two days by plane to get home. So I'm not going to be able to get home any faster anyways. So it was like, you know, it was a risk, but it was so freeing and so releasing and you, y- I got out of the hat scrolling habit, right? It's like in the beginning, the doom scrolling. Okay, airplane mode. I'm in a tent, and I'm I'm like scrolling for something, and I'm like, okay, the only <laughs> right. thing I can look at is my pictures that I took today, and okay, finished <laughs> editing those. Now what am I going to do? Well, I guess I'm just going to actually talk to Jen, who happened to be Jen Seger, who happened to be my tent mate, which was amazing. Yeah. We had some great chats. Um, So as I came home, I completely gotten out of that habit Mm -hmm. to the point that I missed one of my friend's birthdays because I didn't see it on (laughs) Facebook till the end of the day. And Western States lottery happened yesterday morning and I completely spaced and I didn't even find out that another friend got into Western States until I was on the phone with Another friend who told me like the good old fashioned talk on the phone conversation. It wasn't seeing it on social media. And that was like a really refreshing moment. I'm like, oh, I just found out something because somebody actually told me. I didn't see a post about it. And so, yes, it has lasted. Hmm. But outside of habit changing, I have felt so calm Mm-hmm. So content. And at first I thought, you know, maybe it's just the runner's high, the endorphin's high that lasts. No, this one's different. This is like a fundamental base shift. I, I've had some things, some stressors come up, like mm-hmm. first communication with home when I did get back online, did tell me some things that stressed me out. But you know, at the same time, I didn't, like my inner lake didn't ripple. I was just like, you know what? It is what it is. Genuinely. Mm-hmm. I hope this lasts. I really hope it lasts. But I really feel so grounded and so just at peace. Mm-hmm. And so happy is not the right word content, just yeah. really content with the place that I'm at right now. So whether it was the digital detox, whether it was, you know, literally flying to the other end of the globe, I don't, I don't know. But I would highly encourage Anybody to at least spend a day or two. For me, it needed to be like eleven days <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to really get out of that that addiction to all the tech. Um, but take some time and just completely disconnect because it's so it's so good for us.
1: It is, yeah. I think we could all probably stand to trade in our blue light for blue sky and blue mm-hmm. lakes.
0: <laughs> I knew. Yeah, the right blue, the right blue. <laughs> exactly, <Yeah.
1: laughs> exactly. Now, back back to the trip a little bit. Was there any, um, like, I'm just trying to, in my mind, and just from having looked at your photos, it's, like, remote. Like, you're not really seeing a whole lot of people or going through towns and um, civilization much. But was there anything? Like, did you meet local people or experience any kind of local culture at all? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, Just to summarize the flight path that I took to get there, I flew Calgary to to JFK, New York, and then JFK straight to Santiago. That was a 10 and a half hour flight, which Chile is a very long, skinny country. So Santiago is near the north end of the country. And then Santiago to Punta Arenas, which was another three and a half to four hour flight to the southern tip of Chile. So I can't comment on the northern part of Chile because I really didn't spend any time there, but... Spent a day in Punta Arenas before we drove up to Porto Natales, which was the final town, smaller town. I would call it almost like a Banff-style town, (laughs) touristy town, closest to Torres del Paine Park. Um, So Punta Arenas and Porto Natales... My, my impressions were so good, like clean, well-kept. Mm-hmm. I felt safe. Like, I don't know what I would have felt like okay. in Santiago because I know they've had certain, you know, protests and demonstrations there in the past. But in the South, I mean, I was walking along with my backpack slightly undone one day and a woman actually stopped me and said, your backpack's undone. Make sure you do it up rather than reaching in and grabbing my wallet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I judge a country by two things. It's bathrooms and it's dogs. And both of which were immaculately kept. Even the outhouses in the park were clean, well-kept bathrooms. And the dogs would wander freely, kind of like cats would here in Canada in the city. But they were groomed, well-fed. You Mm. could tell somebody owned that dog. It wasn't a mangy wild dog just running around, ready to bite you, right? So um, modern you know, there's old buildings, but with modern upgrades. I mean, I paid by Apple Pay everywhere, even in the park. They would have little like stores where you could buy snacks, um, in the refugios, and you could just tap your your iPhone. Huh. Uh, so Chile, I my what I've been told is it it's got it together more than some of yeah. the other South American countries, nice. and that I could definitely like it. see it. It was. Uh, People were very kind, Um, still a lot of local color and culture. Sheep are a big um, thing in the region. So wool, wool clothing and wool Mm. hats and stuff were uh, in all the stores. But yeah, I would, if it wasn't, if there weren't so many places to put visit on the planet, (laughs) and if it wasn't literally two days of travel to get there, I would go back. I would absolutely go back there. Yeah.
1: Well, you're you're selling it. I'm. My curiosity is definitely peaked, and I'm sure uh, many people listening are also have, uh, you know, maybe are putting this on their bucket list. So, for anyone thinking about, uh, you know, doing a similar trip, um, what advice could you give to them? And maybe both in terms of the physical preparation, which you've talked a little bit about, but like mental resilience as well.
0: Hmm. Well. Yes, I think, first of all, if I would say do a trip just like I did, except that I know Jen says this is her last time she's going down to that park. This is her third time there. But oh. if you can find some local connections or, you know, it's worth, if not hiring a guide, hiring a local consultant there to do your bookings for you, to yeah. get you, you know, around the park, I think that would be highly um worth it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you wouldn't have to worry about all of that. Um, from a physical preparation standpoint, just, you know, having a good endurance background absolutely is enough. Mm-hmm. So many of us on the trip said we weren't in the shape that we wished we were and we still did just fine. Okay, that's good to um, know. Um, yes. But you talk about the mental side, that is one of the pleasant things I think because we all had an endurance background, there was no complaining. We had no injuries. (laughs) As far as I know, if somebody had a blister, not a single person talked about it. We were all just blissed, bleeped out (laughs) the entire time. You know, there were so many photo stops. We were all absolutely in love with the mountains. Um, I think mentally, you just, you have to go there, A, wanting to be there, And be just immersing yourself in it. Like, so we had some wind. That was part of the fun, right? We were all laughing our heads off and this wind that was blowing us over. It was just a big adventure. Um, You do need to be prepared for some really long days. Right, mm-hmm. some some really long days, but really, what else do you have to do? Like, there was right. one day we had a shorter day, and we're like, "What are we rushing for? We're going to get to camp, and then there's nothing to do there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we might as well go on either on another. There really weren't a lot of side trails to do, so we're like, you know, let's just take our time. If if we want to sit and look at this lake for half an hour and have our trail mix, we'll do it. Yeah. So, going with the mindset of of just be relaxed, um, be prepared to do some work, but. Just don't stress about it, you know, would be my mm-hmm. thing. Take um, if it all absolutely, in, be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you need somebody pushing you and riding you and yelling at you and you need a timer clock, go to a race. Don't yeah. That's what I was going to say. Go to a race. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah it if you really like... want to slow down, this is a good option. Right. Yeah.
1: It sounds like yeah. an experience. Um, yes. For sure. Oh,
0: and, you know, I should talk a bit about the packing. You talk, you know, what advice would I give somebody? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we had two people who um, came with a lot more in their backpacks than they should have and ended up hiring a porter to take half of the stuff they hauled out because they didn't need it. So we really did. Fast packing means just that. It's like the bare, bare minimums. So Jen did a great kind of packing video for us, which really helped. But essentially... We did do, um, we did have some drop bags where we were able to get fresh kind of base layer if we wanted, but for the entire week, I almost wore the exact same thing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I had one pair of shorts, one pair of capris, one pair of leggings, puffy coat, raincoat, um, couple t-shirts. I did have, a. I did have four pairs of socks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to wear two pairs twice, two days cause we, our feet didn't get wet underwear and then sleeping you know um, just wool merino wool uh, mm-hmm. base layer for sleeping uh, we use dry sacks to compress and make sure everything stayed dry within our pack so I had three different dry sacks in my pack very minimal personal items so <laughs> <laughs> kind of by accident, but I ended up leaving my brush and my contact lens case and a whole bunch of stuff in my suitcase back at the hotel. So I didn't comb my hair the entire time. If it was longer, I would have come home with dreadlocks, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but really, I didn't need it. I didn't need a brush. So, you know. It's amazing. Bare, bare minimum stuff. How little yeah. we
1: actually need, I think.
0: Exactly. We, yeah. we did bring chargers for our phones, but I managed to get one with built-in cords, so I didn't need a bunch of cords. It just had a little mm. plug that kind of swung out from the side to charge. Um, Our food mm. and a bar of soap, headlamp. We did take micro spikes for the past, but never ended up using them and poles. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. Like that's like so so you yeah. might have spelled a little bit by the trip, <laughs> but we yeah. all did. So that would be my other biggest advice is do not overpack because right. it's much more pleasant if you don't end up with blisters on your shoulders mm-hmm. and your Definitely. hips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Um what
1: what possibly this trip like I don't know are you yeah (laughs) haven't thought that far ahead to like a what's next or are you just going to try to ride the high from this for as long as you possibly can
0: um I think I'll be, my, my mind and my heart are actually still there. It's only been six mm-hmm. days and I still wake up in my bed going, where am I? Like, it's too soft. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I definitely am going to do another trip like this. I, I want to stay on Jen's mailing list if <laughs> she does another one, um, or even if it's self, self-guided and self-directed. I'm starting to think about next year. There's nothing concrete, but I do know I need a change. Uh I'm not going to be doing another 100 miler or probably even another 100k. I kind of want to go to the shorter distances in this next year. Maybe maybe get some leg speed back on these, <laughs> on these tree trunk legs of mine. Um and really support local. So I don't want to get too political, but I definitely, you know, with with all of the um optics on big corporations influencing our sport right now, I do really feel like I want to invest my money and my time in some of the grassroots races that, that brought me into the sport in the first place. And so I'm probably going to be signing up for more events, uh, but shorter events. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, all of this just sounds like a, a beautiful
1: kind of full circle
0: it is it's of like circle.
1: what you got into ultras for in the first place, the nature, the being with community, and all of that. So, yeah. um, I I can't wait to hear what you get up to next. Um, this sounds like absolutely the trip of a lifetime, and you you definitely have Johnny and I thinking, hmm, <laughs> this would be a good trip to do. And it's too, it's sad for me to hear that uh, Jen isn't going to do this specific one again but I will definitely have to check out her website to see where where she goes to next. So um
0: well you know let me do a plug for her because mm-hmm. she is one first class lady. Like she's a first class athlete, she's a first class guide, leader, human yeah. like nothing she does is is halfway. And so I felt really fortunate and again safe and cared for to be with, you know, her on yeah. this trip. So thank you Jen for everything you did for us. And yeah, Patagonia is a place that we'd all heard about. It seems like there's those places that you hear about, and then you finally go, and then all of a sudden everybody's going. I know Ehor is in the uh, Argentine side of Patagonia racing literally right now. Ehor Berries, right. um, friends of ours from Manitoba, are in the area right now, so it's becoming more known to the Canadian um, community. So yeah, mm-hmm. if you if anybody wants. More information, absolutely. Reach out to me. There's so much more I could share um, tips and tricks. By no means an expert, but definitely had some good guidance with Jen and the crew. So mm-hmm. um, check out my Instagram for pictures if you want to see more. Yes. I put a lot up you there. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm just really happy to have had the opportunity to go to have legs that could take me to these kind of places, health and um happy to share it with with anybody who wants to know more